So reading from 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shemar pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Thanks, Jeanette. I've got a few questions to uh, ask the kids before we dive into that passage. I wonder if the kids can tell me, what does the heart do? Hands up if you want to tell me. What does the heart do? I know you guys know this one. Go, Emma. Pumps your blood around the body. Very good, thank you. Some people say that it also makes you fall in love and do things like that, but that's really just because it beats a bit faster when you get excited. Now I need someone to tell me, what does the mind do? (laughs) Anyone? What does the brain do, the mind? You might be the only keen one. Oh, no, here we go. It what? Work. It does work, yeah. What does it do when it works, though? Go, Emma. Yeah. Yep, it certainly determines the body's movements and uh, helps you think, helps you make decisions. Uh, One last one. What does the gut do? Just keeping this one appropriate. 
Anyone? Up the back. Keeps you healthy, yeah, that's a good call. It processes the food, doesn't it? Keeps you healthy. Some would say that it also, uh, what do they say? Like if you go with your gut, means you're, uh, you're sort of going with your conscience a little bit. You're making good decisions about things. In the Bible, when it talks about the heart, it means that all of this stuff is kind of put together. Uh, we often think it's just talking about the heart as we sometimes use it, but it's actually all of these things together. It's your passions. It's the things that you love. It's your conscience, whether you know right and wrong and, and morals and things like that. It's your will, i.e. your decisions and your actions. And it is also your mind. It's your processing. It's your thinking, uh, which is especially while I, I love. There's a great scene out of the sitcom 30 Rock where... One of the characters who's a, a very typical Republican capitalist, uh, at one point he says, you've got to make these decisions with your heart. And everyone's like, well, that doesn't sound like a you know, typical left-brained person. But then he reveals an acronym down his whiteboard, which is heart equations and rational thinking. That's the kind of deciding by your heart that I like. But when it says heart in the Bible, you can know that it means your whole inner person, your whole self. Just like when it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. It's your whole self. So to change tack now, let me ask all of you, what's your focus going to be for 2022? Have you made any resolutions? Have you made any commitments to yourselves? Have you thought about it at all? Perhaps not. It's not very popular to do so these days, I don't think. Perhaps you're going to cut back on, on sugar or maybe on alcohol now that all the celebrations are over. You're going to get fit. You're going to run a marathon. You're going to maybe pump the muscles up a little bit this year. Or maybe you've decided you're going to learn a new skill. Maybe go for a promotion at work. Maybe save a certain amount of money. Perhaps find a spouse. Start a family. Build a house. Who knows? Or if you are a Christian, have you decided to revive your prayer life? to start a new Bible reading plan, maybe, to get into a one-to-one, perhaps to launch a new ministry. These are all great things, every one of them, but I wonder, how much are you going to focus on your heart, on your character? Are all these external things that we resolve to do, like health and family and work, are they about sort of satisfying our hearts or, or maybe about distracting our hearts. And all those religious things like prayer, Bible, church, are they for growth? Or are they just doing what you think Christians should do? We often look at the new year as a bit of a refresh, as a bit of a new start, a chance to just give it another go, a little bit like Israel getting a new king. And so the ultimate question when we think about that is, do we learn from our mistakes in previous years? Or do we repeat them? And I think that for many of us, the mistake that is so easily repeated is to focus on externals rather than on our hearts. We resolve to try harder as friends or as siblings or as spouses or as parents or as employees or as church members or, or even as Christians. And we get busier and we get busier and we get busier. 
But what's going on within when we do all of that? Is there peace? Is there contentment? Is there joy? Or is there more guilt? Is there more doubt? Is there more anxiety or apathy or or fear even? If that is the repeating pattern of your years, I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be. The good news of Jesus actually cuts through all of that and frees us from the monotony, from the repetitiveness of that reality. All we need to do is to focus on our hearts. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, we read it before. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so in this historical story that we just read, Samuel, who is God's prophet, priest, and judge, all rolled into one, he is out seeking Israel's new king because Saul has been rejected. And he's out looking to anoint the next guy for the job. So he's in Bethlehem. And that's not a coincidence because great kings come from Bethlehem, as we've just celebrated. And he knows that it's one of Jesse's sons, this upstanding guy in the community, but he doesn't know which one. And so when Samuel sees Eliab, who we assume is the oldest son, he's ready right there and then to pop the cork on the bottle and just douse him with anointing oil. This has got to be the guy. Why is that? Well, because he is one handsome hunk. This guy, he's a hottie. He's a, a real unit. You know, he makes the girls go weak at the knees. Samuel, you don't need to look any further than this. But God says, no, nah, not this guy. He's not the one. He's actually on my reject list. And Samuel's probably thinking, well, if this fine specimen is rejected, what hope is there for for any of the rest of them? But God here is is looking at the heart, not at the hunk. He's looking for character, not for stature. And so after rejecting six more sons, Samuel then calls on the youngest. He says, have you got any more sons? Where is he? And Jesse didn't think it was important for David to be there because he's the youngest after all. So he's out doing the family's least favorite job. He's shepherding stupid sheep. But Samuel says, bring him here. And as soon as he arrives, God tells him, that's the guy. He's the one. He is Israel's next king. He's the one that that I described earlier as a man after my own heart, God says. Now, David is still a good-looking man. It says in the text there that he's handsome and he is glowing with health. And that's fair enough because there's actually nothing wrong with with good looks. The point of this story and and verse 7 is not that good looks are bad. You shouldn't have them. It's just that they don't matter. They're not the point. They're not what is most important. It's the heart that is the point. It is the heart. That is the focus. And you would think that this is a lesson that we human beings have learned by now. And we have the sayings, don't judge a book by its cover. Look for the inner qualities, not for outer attraction. But no no matter how often we say it and we talk about it, we repeat the same mistakes, don't we? 
We idolize attractive celebrities without having any knowledge of their character. We worship athletes and their amazing abilities, even if they have no morals. We even follow big-name preachers and teachers and worship leaders because of their brand or of their image or of their style or maybe even because of their theology. But we ignore whether they have integrity. And so how often do these good-looking or maybe super-skilled people crash and burn because of significant failings of character? We are the ones who launch them up onto pedestals of fame before their character is ready because we love their appearance or their ability. And this is a big part of why Israel wanted a king in the first place. They wanted a celebrity. They just wanted someone famous, somebody to put up on the pedestal and say, look, we're like all the other nations. Look at our guy. He's, he's awesome. And so this is what God gave them in Saul. The text says, chapter 9, he was the most handsome man in Israel. The most handsome man. He was literally a head taller than everybody else. If you want to go on a pedestal, this is the guy. Talk about a tall poppy. But his heart wasn't in the right place. His heart was incredibly proud and he was rejected so soon after being anointed. And so when Samuel meets Eliab and he appraises him as this good-looking guy, it, it kind of echoes the selection of Saul. And as the readers were all sort of going, what's going to happen here? Is the mistake going to be repeated or is it going to be avoided? And thanks to God, it was avoided with David. David was a good king, a man after God's heart. But soon after David, it was repeated all over again. In fact, Absalom, who is David's son, was this super good-looking guy, a contender for the throne, and he was an idiot when it came to character. Tried to kill his own dad. And then there's a string of kings who strutted their power over and over and yet had crooked hearts, and so eventually the nation fell to invaders. And then, of course, there's a big gap while Israel is in exile. But the next king is born also in Bethlehem, also in the line of David. But he's born in a filthy, dirty feeding trough. And perhaps this king, this little baby, is a little bit ugly by our shallow standards. Certainly Isaiah gives us that impression. And so the question is, well, based on that, is he going to be accepted or is he going to be rejected? And during his lifetime, the lifetime of Jesus, the jury is out. You know, people are sort of wondering, do we really want a king who just wanders around the countryside like a homeless guy and hangs out with fishermen and with tax collectors and other sinners and he picks up all these rejects like flies to a bad smell? Do we really want that guy? But wait, hang on a minute. Now he's riding into Jerusalem. Perhaps we were wrong. Perhaps they were just humble beginnings. And now he's going to come in and he's going to take the crown and he's going to don the robes of glory and he's going to blast the Romans with fire. Now it might happen. But why is he riding on a donkey? And look, now he's hanging on a cross. 
cross for criminals. And he's even uglier than he was before. And the crown he's wearing is a mockery and the, the, the cries of hail, they're mockeries and it's all just so pathetic. But the heart behind that torn skin is pure gold. Isn't it? I mean, if you're looking for a man after God's own heart, I mean, this is God himself in human form. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's humble. He's servant-hearted. He's loving. And he dies there on that cross in order to fix our hearts. Not to make us attractive. Not to sort of give us grand abilities. Not to boost our reputation in the world, but to heal our hearts. So will he be accepted or rejected? Well, the answer falls to us, doesn't it? To you. Will you accept him? Or will you reject him? See, this isn't just about the leaders that we follow. This is about our focus and the fact that we have crooked hearts. And so that when we just focus, say for example in the new year, on external things, whether it's appearance or ability or actions or even on relationships, we often do that with sick hearts. And so what happens is we make all of those things our identity. And we make them our purpose. And we make them our salvation. It's my looks that will get me through. It's my abilities that will make me accepted. It's my actions that will save me. The new year becomes about looking good, about self-improvement, about pleasing people. And it makes us busy, it makes us stressed, it makes us anxious, and that eventually results in guilt and doubt and depression and apathy. But Jesus has come to set us free from all of that. He pushes past all of those things and he cuts into the very depths of our hearts like a surgeon who's there to get rid of a blockage. Like the Word of God in in Hebrews chapter 4, he divides soul and spirit and joints and marrow to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That passage goes on to say, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God looks at the heart and He's the only one who truly can. And so the gospel of Jesus, that He came to die for us to fix our hearts, is our freedom from pleasing people. It's our freedom from the total control of our physical health. It's our freedom from the chase after success and wealth. This gospel transforms our perspective so that we're not blinded by or we're not enslaved to the outward appearance, to the external things, but instead we can focus on our hearts. And so if your hope this year is to get fit or trim or healthy, in whatever way you've decided to do, that's fine. But you need to ask yourself, why? What's your motivation? Is it so that you can feel good about yourself? Because otherwise you won't. 
Is it so that you feel wanted or worthwhile in the eyes of others? Because that's when you need to focus on the heart. To know that God looks there, right down to the depths. And he loves you because Jesus has made you perfect. You cannot improve beyond what he has done in your heart. So let a heart for God, let gratitude and contentment and joy, let that be what drives your decisions about health. If your hope this year is to get a new job or a promotion or to just work harder or make more money, again, ask yourself why. Why do you want that? I'm not saying it's bad, but why is such an important question? Is it to prove your worth to others? Is it to build your own security or your own sense of control in this world? Because that's when you need to focus on the heart instead. To know that God looks there right down to the depths and he loves you because Jesus has secured you. Nothing in this world, Jesus has secured you. You cannot gain more than what he has given you. And so let a heart for God that is humility and contentment and faith in the sovereignty of God. Let that drive your work and finance decisions this year. If your hope this year is to find a spouse or get married or to start a family, they're great things, but again, you've got to ask why. Is it to be desired or to feel loved? Is it to fill a void in you that it seems like everybody else around you has filled? Although newsflash, they haven't. Because that's when you need to focus on the heart, to know that God looks there into the deepest part and he loves you because Jesus has made you complete. He's made you complete. You cannot be more loved than to have Jesus come and to die for you. And so let a heart for God, fulfillment, contentment, and peace, let that drive your relationship decisions. There is another point I want to make before I wrap up today. This Old Testament narrative is not just about how we should focus on the heart over and above outward appearances, although it's so important. More than that, it's about God's choice over and above our own. Israel chose poorly when they demanded a king in the first place. Not that kings were bad. God had always intended to give them a king. But when they demanded it, they were like, we want to be like the other nations. We want a celebrity And it was a poor choice. Even Samuel, who was a devoted servant of God, he was about to make a really poor choice in Eliab. History repeats. But God chose David. 
And it was a strange choice by human standards, as we've just seen. But it proved to be the best choice by far. And you know what? That's even more the case when God chose the birthplace and the lifestyle and the followers and even the death of his son, Jesus Christ. His choices can seem strange to us. They can even seem ridiculous. But they are far, far, far better than our own. And so another crucial question for this new year is this. Are you going to go with your own choices and plans? Or the choices and the plans of God? Whether you're starting a diet or starting a job or starting retirement or starting a project. Ask yourself, is this God's choice for me or is this my own? Is this about his kingdom and his gospel and his glory? Romans chapter 12 verse 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, songs and religious activities aside, this is your true and proper proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to just try and make this as simple as possible. This is how you know what God's choice for you is, what his will for you is. Ask yourself three simple questions anytime, anytime this year, no matter how small or big the the thing might be. Ask yourself this, one, am I responding to the mercy and the grace of God displayed in Jesus Christ? You know, if he has fixed my heart and he has saved my soul and if he has turned my life around, is this next thing a response to that? Am I acting in light of that, in view of that? Secondly, am I conforming to the pattern of this world? Am I chasing what the world chases and Seeking satisfaction or perhaps distraction from those things? Am I repeating the same mistakes that are repeated time and time again? And then thirdly, am I testing and approving God's will? Remember the mind, as we said at the beginning, the mind is part of the heart in biblical language. And so God is constantly renewing it, this inner self. So the question is, am I shaping it? Am I filling it? Am I feeding it with God's word? With the gospel, the freedom of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself these questions before you jump into your new plan or your new lifestyle or your new situation. Your new year, am I responding to the gospel? Am I not conforming 
to the world? And am I seeking God's will in God's word? These are key questions for focusing on the heart as you dive into this new year. So may you do so in response to all that Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you that you are so powerful and wise that you can see right into the depths of our hearts. You know exactly what's going on there, Lord. And we confess that we so often just focus on the externals, our actions, our abilities, our appearance. And we forget about what you've done in our hearts and what you're doing and what you can do. And we forget about Jesus and we forget about the gospel. Lord, we confess that we just try and go on our own control and on our own efforts, our own confidence. But without you, we're nothing. Everything else is lost but for the grace in Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that you will help us to to focus on the heart, to have a heart for you, to have a heart that's filled with the wonderful truths and the goodness and the freedom of the gospel. That Jesus loves us and has set us free, that he fills us completely and we can have no more than what he gives us because it is everything. And with hearts that are full, Lord, we pray that we might live out what is in our hearts and respond with what's in our hearts. Lord, work in all of us this year. We pray that we might have this focus, that you might transform us and that we might be people after your own heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>